Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Today on the program, we have the second half of an interview with Hank Duncan, the city's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator. Environmental correspondent Zero Rose asked Duncan about some of the controversy and safety concerns surrounding alternative modes of transit, like the e-scooters currently left at all points of town, blocking bike bike racks and ramps affecting disability access and serving as a pedestrian hazard. We will hear what the city plans to do about improving the situation. And now for your environmental reports. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management, IDEM, issued an air quality action day last week for three northeast Indiana counties for having high ozone levels. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management issued the AQAD for Allen, Huntington, Wabash in northeastern Indiana. Item says, anyone who's sensitive to changes in air quality may be effective when ozone levels are high. Children, the elderly, and anyone with heart or lung conditions should avoid exertion or heavy work outside. Ground level ozone is formed when sunlight and hot weather combine with vehicle exhaust, factory emissions, and gasoline vapors, item says. Quote, ozone in the upper atmosphere blocks ultraviolet radiation, but ozone near the ground is a lung irritant that can cause coughing and breathing difficulties for sensitive populations, unquote. This year, biologists will gain a better perspective on whether the Indiana bat will survive. Last year, healthy colony, colonies were found in Vermont. Wildlife biologists in Vermont discovered a hopeful sign for the state's Indiana bat population. One colony, located in Hinesburg, just south of Burlington, appears to be flourishing. In the Green Mountain State and nationwide, bats have been suffering from white-nose syndrome for more than a decade when the disease first appeared and swiftly decimated the populations of several species. Numbers of, numbers of Indiana bats in the rest of Vermont have been declining, and the species is federally listed as endangered. But the summer of 2022 colony, located on conserved land in Hinesburg, contained around 700 of the animals, according to data collected this summer by Alyssa Bennett, a small animals biologist with Vermont's Department of Fish and Wildlife. The colony hibernates across Lake Champlain in New York, Bennett said. In Hinesburg last field season, we counted as many as 300 bats in a single roost, she said. That is similar to historic numbers at this site, and three times greater than anything we have found in Vermont over the past decade, when the white-nosed disease was first detected in the state. The conserved land in Hinesburg appears to have contributed significantly to the growth of the Indiana bat colony. 
Habitat there features a mix of shagbark hickory, dead trees with peeling bark, water, and transitions where fields turn to forest, according to, to Bennett. Bat boxes, which are located at the site, may have helped the animals stay warm and conserve energy during the winter. Indiana bats are typically found in the Midwestern to eastern United States. Vermont is located at the northeastern edge of its range. The Heinsberg colony is the most northeasterly population of Indiana bats. The colony's success raises new and hopeful questions about the future of the species in the state, Bennett said. Are Indiana bats moving further north and east as summers become warmer? Are there other colonies that could benefit from habitat improvement, she said? Thanks to last year's findings, these are the questions we'll be working to answer this year. Not all bat populations have made a comeback, however. As the state announced news of the successful Heinsberg colony on Tuesday, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service announced its proposal to nationally list the tricolored bat, whose broad range includes Vermont, as an endangered species due to the ongoing spread of white-nose syndrome. IndyStar reports that an Indiana manufacturing facility has set a new record, but not in a good way. The subsidiary of British Petroleum, BP, is paying an unprecedented penalty, $40 million, to settle changes its Indiana refinery violated federal law by releasing harmful pollutants into the air and wastewater. I'm sorry, to settle charges. The settlement between BP, the U.S. EPA, and the Department of Justice was announced in May. The refinery located near Lake Michigan is one of the oldest and largest in the U.S. with the capacity to process more than 400,000 barrels of crude oil every day. Environmental advocates celebrated the crackdown at the refinery with a history of emissions issues. The settlement stems from an October 2019 site visit where inspectors observed multiple violations according to the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. The federal government's complaint alleged the refinery violated federal regulations limiting benzene in wastewater streams and hazardous air pollutants. Benzene is a known cancer-causing chemical, and air emissions are linked to the health problems including difficulty breathing, aggravated asthma, and reduced lung, lung capacity. People residing in northwestern Indiana have one to two years lower life expectancy than those living in less polluted parts of Indiana. The settlement obligates BP to pay a penalty of $40 million, the largest civil penalty ever secured for a Clean Air Act settlement for a fixed location. Larger penalties were assessed for vehicle manufacturers for combined emissions violations. Energy Wire reports a federal court is considering whether to shut down the contested Line 5 pipeline out of concerns that riverbank erosion in Wisconsin could cause a rupture and catastrophic oil spill in Lake Superior and on tribal lands. Line 5's opponents say it is not a question of if, but when the aging Enbridge Incorporated pipeline will be forced to stop operating on its full 645-mile path. Spring floodwaters have quickly stripped away feet of riverbank along a bend of Bad River in Wisconsin near the pipeline's path, they say. 
The erosion is not likely to stop there, said the Bad River Band of the Lake Superior Tribe of Chippewa Indians, which is seeking an emergency court order requiring Canada-based Enbridge to purge Line 5 of oil and halt its operation. The pipeline, which moves light crude oil, light synthetic crude, and natural gas liquids, runs from Superior, Wisconsin to Sarnia, Ontario, and crosses approximately 12 miles of the reservation. The segment of the pipeline under question is buried about four feet below the surface, and the amount of riverbank shielding it from exposure is rapidly eroding. The evidence strongly suggests that further bank loss could be substantial and result in exposure and rupture of the pipeline, the band said in its motion to the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Wisconsin earlier this month. Judge William Conley, who is likely to issue a ruling on the motion for a permanent injunction in the coming days, signaled in a recent hearing on the motion that he wouldn't order an immediate shutdown, but instead is likely to define riverbank conditions that would force the court to intervene in coming months. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has unveiled a new tool that will help Hoosiers keep track of air pollution and its sources across the state. The Eco clean air tracking tool maps information collected from permitted polluters and air monitoring stations. It allows users to find data on emissions and whether the facilities that are creating those emissions are following state and federal laws. The tool also contains information on environmental justice and modeled toxic risk data. ECAT has two main searches, an air monitoring station search that provides data on hazardous air pollutants and criteria air pollutants, and an emissions screener search, which provides data on emission sources, including which pollutants they emit and how much they are emitting. To use the tool, search ECHO, that's E-C-H-O, air tracking tool, and then M, excuse me, A-M-S search tutorial. With the globe warming by with the globe warming by 5 to 9 degrees Fahrenheit over the next 100 years, will temperatures be reached that could kill humans? The data presented here are obtained from an internet search and the figures rarely specify the role of humidity. How hot of temperature is too hot for humans? In general, temperatures in the 103 degree Fahrenheit to 124 degree Fahrenheit increase the risk of heat stress and heat-related illness in humans, including death. Any temperature over 125 degrees Fahrenheit can kill within minutes. The lethal range for cattle is 100 degrees Fahrenheit and 80% humidity. Because cattle sweat at only 10% of the human rate, they are more susceptible to heat stress. 100 degrees and 50% humidity is very dangerous for cattle. How hot temperatures is too hot for chickens? In general, temperatures over 90 degrees Fahrenheit increase the risk of heat stress and heat-related illness in chickens, including death. And now we go to Zero Rose as he asked Hank Duncan, the city's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator, about the goals of neighborhood greenways also delving into new financial incentives, upcoming regulations and technology like geofencing to modify problematic behavior when it comes to the management of alternate transit rental applications that have introduced fleets of electric bikes and scooters to the streets, alleys and sidewalks of Bloomington in recent years.
So we have with us today, Hank Duncan. Uh, he joined the city as bicycle and pedestrian coordinator in October of 2022. Hank graduated from IU in 2019 with a BS in economic consulting and a BA in Germanic studies. He worked for a cycling tourism company in France for a few summers ago, and he was sales manager for a bike shop in Asheville, North Carolina through 2020 and 2021. Um, he was also a little 500 race director at IU Foundation for the 2021 and 2022 races, as well as in the first half of the 22-23 academic year. Uh, currently, Hank is pursuing a Master of Public Affairs in his studies at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and he also plays cello and piano in the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra. Thanks for being with us today, Hank. It's great to be here. Um, why are we doing this? It's to prioritize multimodal transportation, active transportation around the city. It's to limit and reduce and hopefully eliminate traffic fatalities, traffic severe injuries, and make it a safer place to move from point A to point B in Bloomington. And also, I imagine it's part of the uh, climate action plan to reduce miles traveled by vehicles and emissions for contributing to climate change. Yeah, there, there are a few of our community's goals in the climate action plan and the comprehensive plan that directly support what we're doing with neighborhood greenways and other multimodal projects around Bloomington. And so I think there was one, I heard some contention about what it was Hawthorne intersection, some mm -hmm. people in that neighborhood raising a bit of a ruckus against uh, those plans. I guess they recently didn't vote uh, sort of a veto back in by the city council on some of these plans. It's been sort of uh, removed from the end of the process anyway, that after something is approved that there isn't a, a way in by the city council at this point, but there, there was factions pushing for another kind of a check against uh, what they see as, you know, what the experts are deciding uh, to get a little more of a political process. But of course that's for the, the noisy people that go down to the city council meetings and, and, and weigh in. Um, are you as a new coordinator with bicycle and pedestrian feeling any of that heat from some of these? I mean, we just had the election cycle go on too. So a lot of it was kicked up around that. Sure. Um, in my role specifically, no, honestly, I, I think everybody in the city understands that we need more support for pedestrians and cyclists and all vulnerable street users out there in Bloomington. I haven't felt any heat. Um, I think you know, again, as I said before, there are always going to be some people who aren't benefited directly by a project, but as long as we communicate the why of what we're doing and we are transparent in the process and we are communicative from, from start to finish, I think that's all you can really ask for. And in terms of how we've been leading the Greenway process since, since I joined, I haven't been met with much resistance, if any resistance, and there's support for this program moving forward. And while we have you, we, we may as well uh, ask about a couple other things. The uh, I see the new Lime e-bikes around. 
quite colorful ones. In a way, those are sort of welcome. They're they're sort of expensive and you know app centered and all of that. I remember the yellow bike project from years ago, which was just free bikes around town, and of course that became abused and they were just left in the woods or repainted and sold and that sort of a thing. So that kind of didn't work. I think that came from the West coast as a way to have community bicycles all around. You now sort of have that with scooters and things, but these scooters are being left in disarray. You know, they often block the bike uh, racks, you know, cause that's where people think they should be putting them in a way. So in a way it's difficult to lock up bikes and they're actually just left around the sidewalks and things. Some of these places are dark, sort of because the neighborhood wants it. They don't want big lights shining in their single-family homes all the time. And I've actually stumbled over them at night. And, of course, that's also near these ramps and things. Is there anything uh, in the works to kind of address any of that? Yeah, actually, uh, there are a lot of things in the works. So about a month or two ago, we came to council and... The Board of Public Works, we being some folks from planning and transportation, some folks from the Economics and Sustainability Development Department, um, we came to those two uh, bodies with some recommendations of what we would like to see moving forward with shared micromobility, that being e-scooters and e-bikes from operators like Bird, Lion, and Vio, which we have in Bloomington. And a couple of the main points that got passed are one, um, on-street scooter and bike corrals that are coming August 1st. So you'll you'll see later this summer and fall, um, these little maybe 15 by eight foot corrals pop up to house these shared micromobility devices. With that, um, you'll have some physical protection on them so they don't get run over. There'll be some bike racks in there so the scooters can have something to lean on. Uh, we're, looking, we're looking at implementing about 75 of them around the city, most being in that core downtown area, but also others being by the College Mall area on the west side and then in some residential areas where the use is relatively high. With that, we are implementing some geofencing, which is essentially if you as a scooter rider want to end your trip, you cannot end your trip unless you are within one of those geocoded locations, the corrals, um, to stop that scooter. So you have to go to one of those locations to park your scooter. You cannot just leave it out on the sidewalk or blocking a path elsewhere. Uh, and one actually cool thing that VO I think is going to be doing this fall is doing incentivized parking. So especially in less dense areas where we might not have many corrals, they will be encouraging their riders with financial benefits to park their scooters out of the right-of-way in an appropriate location. So those are, I think, the main things, especially with what you mentioned with accessibility issues and that clutter that we see from scooters and bikes. Those should help with um, those two issues a good amount. And also we'll be implementing some fleet caps. So lowering the total number of vehicles on the street. And I believe, uh, you know, your bio mentions uh, your studies of French and German, and you've had some time over there. 
and they just banned the e-scooters in Paris. And I think it was a lot to do with the fact that there was a high bicycle ridership and it was interfering with that. And I presume there was also the disability component there. Do you know anything about how that went down? Not too much. I do know that was a pretty controversial issue. I read just a little bit on it. What we're finding in Bloomington versus especially cities like Paris or Copenhagen or Amsterdam in Europe is that Bloomington's bike ridership is still very low compared to those cities. Um, I think from the 2020 census, it's about 5% of folks use a bike as their main form of transportation in Bloomington. And that's compared with in Copenhagen, it's about 70%. So we're looking at drastically different numbers there. And as a city, we want to encourage sustainable transportation. And what we found is that the scooters and e-bikes that these companies are bringing into town, they are not necessarily a substitute for biking or walking, but they're mainly a substitute for driving your vehicle. About 40% of folks, if they did not have a scooter or bike available to them, they would be driving instead. And when you look at the numbers of carbon emissions with those numbers there, the number of emissions go way down when you have shared dockless micromobility uh, vehicles in town. And how about the uh, safety record of those standing scooters? They seem pretty precarious. I've heard a few examples of people talking about people taking a tumble and people aren't in helmets. Uh, is there, are you guys studying that? Have there been any fatalities? I know there was the one drunk driving situation where somebody dragged the scooter after hitting somebody. But mm -hmm. as far as people just kind of taking tumbles and being in traffic, is there any possibility that those would be phased out for safety concerns, the standing scooters? So that was actually another one of our recommendations coming into this fall is that all companies in Bloomington who have e-scooters or e-bikes, their fleets have to consist of at minimum, at least 25% seated vehicles. And for Bird and Lime, that's e-bikes. For VO, they have their seated scooter. So we are pushing in that direction. Um, the reason we didn't go further is because of operational concerns from some of the companies. And we still feel like they have a lot to offer in the city. But I think that is the push moving forward is towards bikes and seated scooters over stand-up scooters. Well, great. I think that's uh, pretty much going to cover it for the moment. We might uh, try to talk to you in the future about some of these other specific projects as they go in. But I, I think that'll cover it for us today. And we much appreciate your being accessible to us. Sounds good. Hey, it was great to be here, Zero. Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. 
Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Drop by the Payne Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, June 10th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. to learn all about lovely lunas, the big and beautiful luna moth. You will get to see what it looks like as a caterpillar and as the enormous moth. Explore Monroe Lake during a paddling trip on Sunday, June 11th, beginning at 7 p.m. at the Pine Grove State Recreation Area. You must have paddling experience. Learn about the quieter side of Monroe Lake as you watch the sunset and discover beautiful views and hidden wildlife. Sign up at bit.ly backslash explore dash jun 11 dash 2023. Beginner kayaking is taking place at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Lake Monroe on Tuesday, June 13th, beginning at 10 a.m. The workshop is designed for beginners where you will learn basic paddling and safety skills. You will have practice time and kayaks, paddles, and life jackets, which are all provided. What in the world is a snot otter? Learn all about the endangered snot otter found in Indiana at Spring Mill State Park on Wednesday, June 14th from 3 to 3.30 p.m. You will get to make some slime and meet Sydney, the snot otter, at the Lakeview Activity Center. Enjoy a sunset paddle at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve on Thursday, June 15th from 8.30 to 10 p.m. Experience the sunset on Griffey Lake as you take in the sights and sounds of the evening. Register at bloomington.in.gov slash parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noel Herhusky Snyder. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Snyder produced today's show. Brendan Blewett was our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallak. And this is Eco Report.
You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.